Everyone has an opinion, but he's got the Von Hessler Doctrine. Eric Von Hessler on WSB. Live from Sherwood Forest, Hour 1 of the Von Hessler Doctrine begins now. I am the aforementioned Eric Von Hessler, but I'm not alone. Surrounded by my gaggle of doctrinaires, Tim Andrews is here. Hello. English Nick is here. Good day, sir. I believe Autumn Fisher is here. Hello. We'll be joined by Greg Russlater, Jared Yamamoto, the handsomest producer in all of producery. We don't get to look at him today because he's got... <laughs> he, I don't know how many siblings he has, but every weekend he's had a, another graduation to attend. So I think he makes them up. I think he does, yeah. too. I think he's laying around a pool right now enjoying this beautiful, beautiful afternoon. He's Lovely. on something worse than what he normally is on, which is the struggle bus. Yeah, he's actually just straight up hungover. Probably it's time it's to it's sleep it so, 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 so I had too much to drink. <laughs> uh, we're on every Sunday at noon, and if you've never listened to us before, it's about time you found out how we begin. We begin with this. Headlines of the week. All right, usually Jared is here to feed me the headlines, but English Nick, I think you'll do a good job. Here's the thing about this guy, English Nick. What is it? This is what I can understand from the whole thing. Mm -hmm. His name is Nicholas, Yep, and he's not from here. So what are the headlines? Absolutely right, Eric. Uh, The headlines, the Egypt uh, Air Flight 804 that went down on Thursday between Paris and Cairo. Speculation about what happened. Yeah, No one really knows. They found a few things like some life jackets and some seats. Yeah. Uh, but now the uh, the uh, Egyptians... brain goes to terrorism. Yeah, and even uh, a lot of the officials very early on started saying things. I, th- I think it was uh, the French officials started saying things very early on, like it's much more likely to be terrorism than something else. And everyone in America, of course, immediately jumped to the conclusion that it's terrorism. But they got they still have to get the black box, right? They, the, the Egyptians have sent a submarine now to go f- try and find the black boxes, and there's some data. That kind of lead towards people thinking there was some smoke in the cockpit, yeah. maybe some trouble with the uh, and electronics. And also, there's that weird, uh, you see that weird animation mm-hmm. where the plane does this. It, first, it goes 90 degrees to the left. Then it does an entire 360, and then it goes down. So, I don't know. I'm not an aviation expert. I, I see that as could be struggle. Would that be struggle in the cockpit? There Until we know... We don't know. Yeah. Like, this, this is the hardest thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm an American, and I know Americans, so I don't know if this is just human or American. We, we want to have an opinion quickly when something happens, and the hardest thing is to actually wait for all of the information. I'd like wait. to know now, right now. I know, because you have an <laughs> yeah. opinion that you want to express. It has to be terrorism, and I need my opinion validated. It's, and uh, a lot of Donald Trump... Now, we're going to do a little uh, segment called Campaign Chaos in the next half hour, so we'll get into the whole campaign then in a deeper dive. But Donald Trump, interestingly enough, within, I think, an hour of this event happening, was tweeting about, here it is, another terrorist attack. And I thought, wow, that's really getting out there. As a presidential uh, uh, candidate, I mean, if you find out that it wasn't, you're going to look kind of silly and... Then he doubled, because it was, it was interesting. First, people thought he went too far out on a, on, a, on a limb. And then the French officials said, this is more likely to be terrorist than not terrorism. And then I started to feel like, well, this is going to pay off for him, because that, it was a few hours later that Hillary Clinton seemed to be taking her lead from him and saying, yes, it's probably 
But then we start hearing about smoke in the cockpit. You see the strangeness of what's good. It's, it's not definite. We don't know exactly what happened. And then Donald Trump, I have this audio here. I'm playing this off of uh, off the computer. And for some reason, there's, I don't know, just a, a weird noise inside of there. Maybe because they don't want people like me to play it off the computer. But <laughs> I figure as long as I explain to you what's going on, I can play it. But Donald Trump was speaking in New Jersey. And to myself, what just happened about 12 hours ago? A plane got blown out of the sky. And if anything, if anybody thinks it wasn't blown out of the sky, you're 100% wrong, folks. Okay, now what, now what, well, what if we find out that it wasn't blown out of the sky? He just said, anybody who thinks that it wasn't blown out of the sky is 100% wrong. And we don't have all the data from this. There's no way he can know for sure. There's I, no way. I, I'm not being a fool here. I've lived in the modern era long enough to be leaning 75% toward terrorism. I can infer that it was terrorism. <laughs> <laughs> he and was if, really upset. It's and right. if it wasn't, I'll eat my hat. <laughs> I mean, I, I really, that to me, if it turns out in two weeks' time that we find out that it was, it was something be, that wasn't, it was some sort of mechanical failure, which is highly unlikely, but things do happen. If we find that out, that's not a difficult commercial to make when you're Hillary Clinton in the general election. You show him saying that, and then you show the anchor man explaining exactly what the official report is of what went down. So... He really has to cross his fingers here, I think. But then again, I'm speaking like other presidential campaigns through the other 200-some-odd years of this country. It might be that this guy isn't hurt by this, even if he's wrong. I don't know. We'll, we'll take a deeper dive into uh, in, in, in campaign chaos later on. But, uh, man, he really needs to be right about that. Because when you're president, you can't just knee-jerk react to things. You have to be willing to wait to get all the facts. And I've never that, been so on board for a consultant before. Yeah, he needs somebody. Like he really needs to listen to somebody. <laughs> just somebody just, just, just relax. I mean, you could tweet out, it looks like terrorism. I hope right. it isn't, but if it is, then, then state your talking points about why we need it. That's all you need. Just a little thing that says, boy, this looks like terrorism. And if it is, then one, two, and three need to be done, and that's why I need to be the president of the United States. It doesn't take much. But if he's if he gambles and he's right, then he's way ahead of everyone else. But man, this is going to be if he becomes president, this is going to be a gambling presidency. Hashtag my bad. <laughs> yeah. The question is, can he say that? Right. If it's wrong and it turns out to be some sort of electrical fire, I don't know what it can. He turn around and then go. Well, who can blame me with all everything that's been going that's on exactly lately? And do. then, and then, because he seems to do that. Whenever he's wrong, he, he just kind of blows it off and says, "Hey, who can blame me? Why wouldn't I think that?" Well, if you want to be president of the United States, I think you need to be a little bit patient and wait for all the information. And I just think that I would just—I know it's boring to tell people this, but uh, I'm still leaning toward terrorism. I'm not a fool, but. Let's wait for the facts. Your we mind can, is open. We can wait six or seven days. We can wait eight days. We can we can f get the stuff off of the black boxes and know exactly what happened. Uh, even facts if this, are not important. Apparently not. And <laughs> it's just how I feel about things that and, matters. And here's the point: uh, even if this wasn't terrorism, it doesn't change one bit uh, the danger of terrorism that we're in right now and the things that we need to do to uh, to, to quell it. So. I'm just saying, come on, just just take a moment here. Give me another headline. All right, there was an armed man shot by Secret Service uh, near the White House on Friday. Yeah. He just walked up with his gun. Yeah, that's, drawn. When I, that's when I knew the guy was... Sometimes you just know people are just nuts. 
Just, I mean, anybody who would try to, I think anybody who kills anybody else, but especially when they're, when you're targeting uh, a politician or you're trying to do something like that, uh, there's, there's an element of being nuts within it. But then when you walk up to the White House brandishing a gun, I mean, that's almost like, Suicide by cop. <laughs> That's what one source said. That's yeah. what Fox News said, yeah. And and I'm guessing that we're going to find out that this guy was just really off his meds, way gone. He has family members that, that knew this was happening. And nope, it was I, terrorism. Nope. Yeah, terrorism. I can't believe this. <laughs> but I actually, I was watching this news report with someone else who will remain nameless, and that person said, well, why'd they have to kill him? Why did they just shoot him in the leg? Wait a minute. You walk up to the White House brandishing a gun, you're giving up your life. Yeah. All right. That's that's just that. If we don't know that, if we're if we because you could be a decoy. Why do they kill you? End it. It's oh, over. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I challenge you to a duel. Let me go get my flintlock and I'll meet you out on the East Lawn. Now, here's the beautiful thing about our president. He was never in danger. Why? He was on the golf course. <laughs> Four, oh, thank he, God. <laughs> he was on the golf course, safe and sound. And I'm, glad that, I'm glad that he was, but it was one of those things where, because the first thing you think of is, well, who was in the White House and who was there? And was anyone in danger? Apparently, Biden was there, but he was always secure, so nowhere near where this, where this happened. But uh, you're always thinking, like, well, was the president near this? Is, and then as soon as I heard he was golfing, I just smiled. <laughs> I just, of course, See? he wasn't there. <laughs> it's, a, it's actually it's a security precaution. That's why I'm always there, because they can't hit a moving target. <laughs> All right, one more headline. The guy, one more thing, though. If the guy yeah. is that crazy, one, what do you think he was actually seeing? Maybe it wasn't the White House he thought he was at. Look, you know what? Really, really crazy people. He could have thought that he was walking into the gates of hell or something <laughs> and seeing sure. snakes all over the place. Who knows? But this idea of, well, why did they have to kill him? Uh, because he was brandishing a weapon near the White House. That's why. That's all you need to know. All right, we're getting El Chapo. Mexico approves extradition of El Chapo to the U.S. Oh, my goodness. El Chapo. <laughs> I don't think he will be able to break out of any of our prisons. No. I think Mexico is effectively giving up. Is it, look, this, did he break <laughs> out? He broke out twice, yeah. right? And so, you know what? America, you deal with this guy. We don't think he can break out of your prisons. But uh, the Von Hessler doctrine on this one is a little bit unique, I guess. Can we stop giving cool nicknames to horrible people? <laughs> I, this is, who, you know, this 14-year-old's going, El Chapo. Si. I want to be El Chapo. Is it El Chapo or El Chapo? El Chapo is the best. Trump says El Chapo. Yeah. El, he doesn't like Trump. He's he, going to try to kill him. Uh, supposedly, <laughs> supposedly, uh, once when he was out free, uh, yeah. I think there were, were some threats that went back and forth. And then I when, wasn't worried. <laughs> you weren't worried about Not El Chapo? <laughs> So, uh, but then once they got him again, I read some reports that El Chapo was saying nice things about Donald Trump, about his leadership skills. So I, I don't know where they stand with one another. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, who, who people we, we've been doing this since like the Western days, you know, like the most heinous people, <laughs> Billy the Kid. Who wouldn't want to be Billy the Kid? Jesse James. Yeah, he just, well, that was his real name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was just born with a cool name. I, I can't go back for that one. But we seem to give, like, serial killers are always given these, like, the Zodiac Killer. It there might be somebody who thinks that's cool. I'd like to be known as that. The Night Stalker. The Night Stalker. Can but isn't stop? his name, his name means something. It means, his, his nickname in Spanish is Shorty. Oh, it's... Is and that's what Chapo means is shorty. El Chapo? Yeah. So yeah. is it a, is it a is it a bad thing to say about him? Is it a slur? 
I don't know. You know, I've heard uh, adults call their kids like in Spanish, call them like fatty. So <laughs> maybe sure it's a term. On. It's like a term of endearment. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> hey, like Slim. Al Gordito over here. Have another <laughs> burger, Slim. So they'll call Trump right. Coco Lisa. Yeah. That's bald. All right, we'll try ah. to fit another. You, you think that's a toupee? Uh, we'll get into this stuff later. We're going to do another headline or two when we return. The Von Hessler Doctrine on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Welcome back. I'm Eric Von Hessler. That's Tim. That's English Nick. That's Autumn. You know, I know we're still in headlines, but I, right before I came, I was uh, doing my morning duties, and I was uh, uh, reading on my phone, and I came across this article that just absolutely drove me crazy. It's like uh, two things that are bad all wrapped into one. So we got the, it's a, it was on Huffington Post. but Oh, don't go there. No, I don't go there, but it was part of the aggregator that I go to, right? So I saw the headline. Eight great things that happen when you practice self-compassion. <laughs> First of all, you've got the one thing I hate, which is the listicle. <laughs> because the listicle tells the millennial, you're going to get something out of this, and it, you, we promise it won't take more than two minutes of your attention away from the million other things you've got going on at the same time. So I hate the listicle. I, if you say eight things, ten things, twenty things, I and basically... And usually have like, fun pictures associated with them. Too. Oh, there are pictures all the way through this. And Shoot, then, because I can't read for that long. And then, <laughs> and then there's... So it's eight great things that happen when you practice self-compassion. The other thing I can't stand, which is uh, the obvious psychobabble. You know, oh, Really? How much research did you have to do that says if you're kind to yourself, you'll be happier? How much research? And then I'm reading this thing, and it gets more and more ridiculous. So you, you can, they're setting up, be kind to yourself, and you'll be happier. And I get to this uh, paragraph. The best part? It's fairly simple to do. Fairly simple to do. Practice, <laughs> practicing self-compassion. And by the way, that is not a sexual thing. Please, this is a family show. Practicing self-compassion is just talking to yourself with an encouraging inner dialogue. Self-compassion researcher Kristen Neff says. <laughs> Self-compassion researcher. She get a that degree was my for that? major until I switched to journalism. <laughs> this is a job. Oh, she's got to be so happy all the time. <laughs> and so <laughs> later on, later on, it's uh, self, they give you eight reasons, right? Number one, number two. So the millennials can follow along. There's something about numbers. Are there animated GIFs there so they can? There are a couple, okay. yes. It's easier to bounce back from failure, failure when, you, when you're kind to yourself, says self-compassion researcher <laughs> and Harvard Medical School clinical psychology instructor, Christopher Gerner. <laughs> Did you guys have any idea? No. We could have made I money. I follow him or her on Twitter. Well, this is uh, Melanie, the millennial blogger. I'm sure you love hey this self-compassion stuff. Oh my god, I love it, and I love listicles. Like, 27 things you're, when your life changes, when you keep your hands in your pockets. <laughs> 42 it's, reasons to keep a coat in your car. That is it. Did you ever occur to you that when you're, what'd you say, the 27 things that what? 27 things that change in your life when you keep your hands in your pocket. Right, don't you, but once you get to like 19, 20, and 21, don't you think it's filler? No, because they're like all equally important. <laughs> uh... 14 reasons to keep a pair of socks in your purse. I wish I could find some of the more ridiculous things that I found in this. Oh, I, I, oh, and also in this kind of article, two or three times they say research shows. 
studies show and they, they never data. tell you what the research is. They don't. They it's never. It's not important. They never <laughs> tell you what study they're actually pointing. Those three but listen, times. how does it? How does it like make you feel? Doesn't it feel right? I guess that's it, all that matters. So, these people did a lot of research to tell us that if we're kinder to ourselves, we'll be happier with ourselves. I never knew these things. Thank God we have experts. The Uh, common sense experts. We're going to take a deeper dive into this ridiculous presidential campaign and where it stands today in a little segment called Campaign Chaos. That's going to happen when we return. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Eric Von Hessler on WSB. If it's Sunday, it's time to pick up your Sunday AJC. This week in the Sunday Atlanta Journal-Constitution, look for a special report on how local school districts use the penny sales tax. If it's Sunday, it's time to pick up your Sunday AJC. Welcome back. I'm Eric Von Hessler. That's Tim. That's English Nick. That's Autumn. And uh, Greg Russ. Are you there, Greg? I am here. I'm very excited to be a part of the segment. It's my favorite segment of them all. Push Pandemonium. I love it. So let's tell them what this segment is. It's drive this. Hold on. Hold on. President of the United States. I am running for president of the United States. Thank you all. God bless you. Ladies and gentlemen, I am officially running for president of the United States. Campaign chaos. Come on, Greg. You've been in radio long enough to know that we don't do a segment without an opener. So well, I thought I know that there was an opener, but I had was a whole list of of uh, different names for the segment that I was going to keep getting wrong, and then we we're going to introduce it as the correct one: drive disarray, movement misrule, holy war, holy mess. These are all names I was going to throw out there. Are you hallucinating? And then you were going to say, "No, it's campaign chaos." I'm going to say, "Oh yeah." Okay. Were- you know what? When you That's have something, a- you should have brought up ahead of time. Yeah, right? maybe like you would give <laughs> me a, a text time. and say, "I want." Well, to do I like so- to think I like to think that we are in a band and we could just read each other. Okay, we're going to riff. Well, uh, this is that band. This band ain't that good. So give me the first headline from what we all now know is a segment called Campaign Chaos. (laughs) Well, this is a I'm going to start it out with a Yahoo exclusive today. (laughs) Trump is willing to talk to North Korea's Kim. Uh, Kim Jong-un? Kim, yes, he's going to he's he's willing to sit down and talk to Kim Jong-un about that nuclear program. Kim Jong-un, are you willing to talk to him? I'm very willing to talk to Mr. Trump. Do you like Trump? Uh, I like Mr. Trump. He's a very good uh, man. He runs the business very well. I think he could come here and uh, help uh, North Korea uh, come out of the Stone Age. Uh, what if he said you got to get rid of your nukes before you get any help from America? Uh, then I would throw them into the ocean and get rid of them. That's what happens. <laughs> Toss them to the sharks. As long as we can get some food. This is what it kind of worries me. <laughs> This is what kind of worries me about a Trump presidency, which my gut is starting to tell me is more and more likely as we as we move along. The idea of watch out. The I'm sorry, Hillary. I'm just saying. We'll get to you in a moment. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. It's been just beginning. Yes, Greg. He should just start referring to himself as President Trump from this point. And if people say something, he can just say, I'm president of my company. So that's what I want to go by. Everyone just just start calling me President Trump. But the idea of the art of the deal, and I'm going to make deals, 
worries me because Clinton made a deal. No one remembers this anymore because it, it happened in the mid-90s. So no one has even a grasp of history on anything anymore. But I was there. I, I was alive. And I remember that Clinton made a deal with this dude's father. And basically, we gave them a whole bunch of wheat and grain and food, and they were supposed to stop their nuclear program. Well, look where that went. Uh, Jimmy Carter came, I believe Jimmy Carter was the guy who went over there, brokered the deal, came back with, you know, peace in our time, holding up the piece of paper, no, you know, no, no more nukes. And it, it, I, I wonder if Donald Trump is even aware of this before he goes over there, if he just thinks, there's never been one of me before. Absolutely, totally unaware of the whole thing. <laughs> I will go to Kim Jong un. <laughs> <laughs> And if they don't give up their nuke program, we'll build a wall around all of North Korea, and it'll be a great wall. What about all those labor camps? Are you going to bring that up at all? If he can go ahead and start building cars <laughs> and pay people a fair wage, he can keep his labor camps. Just no nukes. Are they going to pay for that wall? North Korea is going to pay for their wall. Uh, the so beautiful wall. Once again, Kim Jong-un willing to speak with a President Trump if it comes to it. Can he dunk over me? I don't think so. It's a little old for that. <laughs> what else is happening in the campaign world there, Greg Russ? Uh, all right. Well, Cruz. Well, I mean, I don't, he seems like he's, uh, what am I, but uh, all right, if you want another story. Sure, Okay. I was. I thought we were going to go further into Trump. I was enjoying. I was like one. I liked the idea of a basketball match between the two of them. <laughs> so I was imagining that. <laughs> Is that what it could come down to? Perhaps just a one-on-one -on -one basketball game between President Trump and Kim Jong Un for all the marbles. Could you say for all the marbles? For all the marbles. You know, I'll I'd do a triple double. I'd like to hear the song that the Korean people come up with for that basketball match. Right? They always have these like uh, songs that everyone sings. Yeah, and like a, a, like a million kindergartners. It's yeah. like it's like half the population is five years old in North Korea, and they all dance in sync. Our glorious leader will beat the awful capitalist. His invention is Donald Trump. It's very melodic. It rolls right off the. I think it's a if, beautiful thing. They wave. They always have flags and ribbons. I think it's the way. It's the way to do it. If Trump wins, they shut down their nuclear program. If Un wins, they get to continue on. And you know, even if Un loses, the country will think that Un won because he'll just lie to them in the right, papers. Right, there you go. Like, I won that match. It's always a win-win if you're Kim Jong-un. They took all the news. I have nothing to do with you. <laughs> Next story. <laughs> uh, Cruz, his role at the Republican National Convention, it's uh, still up in the air. He goes in with, what, 567 delegates, and there's still this idea that possibly there could be a way to stop Trump. And They're he's in a position... Well, he's in a position, Cruz, where he's looking forward to 2020, but I think the party, because they actually don't like him either, would be willing to sacrifice him. Like, no, get out there now and try to I think, fix this. I think that Ted Cruz, this is my Von Hessler doctrine prediction, and if you look at all my predictions about Trump that have all been wrong, <laughs> take this with a grain of salt. I thought I knew what I was talking about when it came to presidential campaigns until this one started. But my feeling is that Ted Cruz 
this was his moment. That's my feeling. The convergence of things that came together, being the anti-Trump, suddenly made him somewhat okay with the establishment of the party. And I don't say I don't think that he stays there. So I I think that Ted Cruz is kind of either fooling himself or being fooled by the people around him if he thinks this is one of those deals where, well, if Trump loses, you're going to be a front runner because you were the last one standing with Trump. That happens with a Mitt Romney and other people who are more establishment politicians. I see Cruz as the next Huckabee, the next Santorum. Uh, as somebody who had that one cycle and did quite well, but if you don't pull it off right there, I don't see him having legs in, into 2020. But again, the Von Hessler Doctrine's record on presidential <laughs> punditry this time around has been horrific. So take it with a grain of salt. I got to stay with my gut. That's what my gut tells me. Ted Cruz had his moment. And it's behind him, so he should take whatever he can get. If he can get a primetime speech or something along those lines during the convention, he should just take it. Yes, uh I was going to say, he'd be a great sergeant at arms. <laughs> what is a sergeant at arms? What Some guy do? that just comes up and introduces people and stands aside. Out of the way. Is he like, he has some sort of police powers, the sergeant at arms, doesn't he? I'm not giving him a badge. He can just say he's a sergeant at arms. <laughs> so that's the Von Hessler doctrine. Ted Cruz, this was your moment. Take what Trump will give you. What else is going on in the campaign? Uh, Hillary Clinton says that when she's elected president... Bill Clinton will be in charge of the economy. Yeah, so you know what? Uh, a lot of people are kind of going after her, saying the whole the whole deal with Hillary Clinton is that she's going to be the first female president. That's her whole that's her whole ballywick. Like, that's right. Yeah, I mean, that's, nothing wrong with that. Sounds like a plus to me. So many people are wondering why it is that you would say elect the first female president, and I will immediately turn the biggest job of the president, the economy, over to Bill, a man. Listen. Sounds weak. I, I gave Bill the responsibility of getting the grocery list together years ago, and he's been doing fabulous. So Get pop, he dog. always gets the right kind of bread that I want. <laughs> I want a very specific brand of tea. She likes that tea now. She can't, uh, no, no, she can't, uh, Thank you, darling. <laughs> Mr. Clinton, close the mouth. A little bit of jaw. Don't recall. jaw shame him. His jaw's uh, open, and we all just need to deal with it. Hillary, I think I did the economy here. So did you take me to What do you do for the economy, Bill? I like you know, you take time to get a time machine to go back to 1995. And then you just get on the internet. Yeah. Ooh, yes, right. See? That instills a lot of confidence. Let me just stare out of this crowd. <laughs> the jaw, Bill, just pull it up just a little bit. Every once in a while, just close the teeth. I don't have any health problems. <laughs> He's been, you know, walking the mall every Sunday. Yeah. He's doing a great job. Uh, Hillary, we're going to go to Old Country Buffet before six. <laughs> Early bird That's special. When it's a little cheaper. That's yeah. Right. It is. And they got the, the fresh meatloaf. That's right. That's when it's the freshest. Hillary upset some people in the Bernie Sanders camp this week when well, she. Uh, well, well, I know, but you were speaking about. Uh, I guess you were challenged. That, uh, I don't know who you were speaking to. Is it Chris Cuomo on. Uh, CNN? Uh, is I will be the nominee for my party, Chris. That, that, is, that is already done, in effect. There is no way that uh, I won't be. So well, basically, that's, that's correct. Well, that upsets, I agree with myself. <laughs> that upsets some of the Bernie uh, people because there's still California and a couple other contests ah, to come they're up. They're holding on, and I can, you know, 
they can keep thinking it. You know, uh, the the people that are with Bernie are like we talked about before, all about emotion. Mm-hmm. I'd like to tell Secretary Clinton yes. to stop throwing shade on the Bernie campaign. Hey, I'm not You've been throwing, throwing shade, shade on me for I'm months. Spilling, I'm spilling the tea. Well, I don't know what that reference means, but we've got uh, California. We're going to wipe the floor with you. And you slack John husband. Like me, what I'm saying is that I'm telling the truth. There she goes, flapping her lips. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now listen, if I were a man, I don't think you would. uh, If you were a man, you wouldn't even been in the race. Nobody likes you. Go away. The Bernie Sanders uh, people are starting to get uh, maybe a little bit violent. I think the last was it last weekend in Nevada that they had the convention where uh, people started screaming and hollering. I guess the chairperson is named Roberta Lang, and this is an actual voicemail that she got from a Bernie supporter. Roberta Lang, this is a citizen of the United States of America, and I just wanted to let you know that I think people like you should be hung in public execution to show this world that we won't stand for this sort of corruption. I don't know what kind of money they're paying for you, but I don't know how you sleep at night. You are a sick, twisted piece of shit. Uh, I had to stop Ooh. it there. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that phone number was voice. posted. Yeah. The phone num- her phone number was posted online, and then a lot of people called. And uh, that was one thing I, I brought up on the digital doctrine, was the fact that Bernie Sanders didn't come out and say, what, what are you doing? Like, instead of just saying, what is this? What really? It was like, it, it was glossed over. It's annoying. Hello? This is not Bernie Sanders on your voicemail. I cannot stand you. You're an evil witch. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, vote Bernie. What I think is hilarious, though, is to listen to a beta male be oh. violent. Hello. <laughs> I know you can hear his voice shaking. Twisted piece of shit. And I hope you burn for this cowardly <laughs> burning off the stage. I hope people find you. Oh, a spider. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a little more campaign chaos when we return. Von Hessler Doctrine on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Welcome back. I'm Eric Von Hessler. That's Tim. That's English Nick. That's Autumn. And I believe Greg has yet another story from our campaign chaos segment. Yes, Michael Jackson wanted to kiss Trump's wife. Melania? Melania. Yeah, Melania. Melania. <laughs> that sounds like a disease. She's it a does. beautiful woman. Melania. She's very pretty. But yeah, so apparently they were hanging out at a, a hotel, the Pierre Hotel in New York. And at some point, they went to dinner together, and then they went to the hotel room together, and Trump went to look some at some art in the other room. And Michael Jackson said, hey, when Trump comes back, let's start kissing so he will be jealous. Yeah, let's make him jealous. <laughs> My masculinity drips off me. <laughs> if you're a man who is jealous of Michael Jackson, are you a man is the question, actually. There's so much testosterone in this room. Whoops, here comes your husband. <laughs> so, you, you, so you like my thought Melania was pretty. Beautiful. I thought she was very pretty. I was going to go home and write a song about her. <laughs> I don't know if it's like... I, I, and then it's a, when a woman and talked to Bubbles. And I said, Bubbles, do you like Mr. Trump? And Bubbles is a chimpanzee, so he couldn't speak. <laughs> what do you think, though? You I do. think that he probably would like Mr. Trump. <laughs> so, so did you and have to. Who's th- coming th- out with the story? Is it Melania or is it Trump? She said it. And she said it. Did they ever? Yeah, did they actually? Did they actually kiss, or did she say no? 
She didn't go through with it. I oh. groped her. <laughs> I can't keep my hands to myself when I'm around a pretty lady. <laughs> I came into the room and he was he he was just manhandling her. I said, "Look, Michael, I know you're virile. I know you're a male." I said, "Listen, get your hands off of my wife." I let him touch my body, but that is it. Say she's very beautiful. She's very Donald, beautiful. Do- darling, Donald, darling, don't worry. He just touched my body. Were you jealous, Donald? No, no. Here's why I wasn't jealous, because I'm virile. I'm a strong male. Oh, I don't get upset. He is so strong. I don't you get upset when other men are looking at my... Hey, my wife's beautiful. Why wouldn't they? Uh, do- Thank you, darling. You're welcome. Yeah, so you, Trump is virile. He says he's virile. Oh. Oh, yes, he's very beautiful, especially at nighttime in the bedroom with all the lights off. I wear size 14 shoes. So if that tells you anything. So there's no problem there. Is what no, you- problems, oh, no problem. Oh, Everything's no great. problem. Oh, we don't have time for this story. Uh, Greg just sent this to me. Donald Trump reportedly did business with a mobster named Fat Tony. <laughs> From the Simpsons? No. <laughs> You're Fat Tony. <laughs> all right, we are going to do a little segment called WTF. When we return, News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB, Eric Von Hessler on WSB. Live from Sherwood Forest, hour two of the Von Hessler Doctrine begins now. I am the aforementioned Eric Von Hessler. My doctrinaires are here. Well, most of them are. Jared's not here because he's apparently he has a. A sibling graduating every weekend this summer. So he's gone again. Tim Andrews is here. English Nick is here. Autumn Fisher is here. I believe Greg Russ is still here. Yeah. Oh, there he is. So it is now time for this. What the? What the? What the? Seriously, what the? WTF. Yeah, guys. For some reason, in some of our imagers, it says who the presenter is going to be. Like, uh, Outrage Corner says, Outrage Corner with English Nick. And for some reason, uh, the, uh, the, the one for WTF doesn't say with Autumn Fisher, but you it is know, with... Jared just didn't have faith that I was going to continue to be on the show. Well, the truth was, we didn't know at the time. We didn't know at the time if you were staying Wait, or you what? were going, and we had a lot of secret meetings about it, and I fought for you, I fought for you, but uh, wow. you're still on probation, so let's see how well you do with this episode of... Don't mess this up. WTF. So, I think you're going to like this, this uh, first story. First of all, before you tell me the story, why yeah. do you th- what sort of stereotype of Eric von Hessler ah. are you engaging in that you th- say that I will like this story? Because I know you. Don't take it as a pejorative. I just know who you are. <laughs> it's about Leonardo DiCaprio and his carbon footprint. Oh, okay. I, well, I love his carbon footprint. So he was at the Cannes, fi- Cannes Film Festival this week. I just wanted to say it right because I know you have an issue with how it's said. Well, there are people who are snooty Americans. Oh. They, they believe that they're... <laughs> Doing it right by saying Cannes Film Festival, but in fact, it is the rather pedestrian-sounding Cannes Film Festival. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Mm-hmm. Yes, I sip a champenoise mm-hmm. while I'm at the Cannes Film Festival. So what's happening over there? Did he... Yeah, so DiCaprio was at the, the Cannes Film Festival this week, uh, and then took a private jet to New York where he won a very prestigious clean water ad, uh, uh, an award from a clean water advocacy group so, and then 24 hours later took another private jet back to France so it's I, I'm looking at the story that you provided me 8,000 miles yeah. <laughs> he decides so he's in France con or can he's in France and oh I gotta go pick up this clean water award so he gets on a private jet for 
4,500 miles there, right? No, 4,000 miles there, 4,000 miles back, back at Cairns, and, uh, and, and he's a big environmental guy. This, right. the, 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 this guy does this sort of thing so often that it's almost not worth remarking upon anymore. I mean, it is, it's hey, like, yes, sir. It was clean water, not clean air. It is true. It's not quite. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's not the most hypocritical thing that he could have done, um, but his he he preaches about the environment. He goes to these. Uh, you ever hear this Davos? Anybody know what Davos yeah. is? It's mm-hmm. like all the big muckety mucks from business and Bono shows up and they all ski and talk about how to make the world a better place once a year from Davos, Switzerland. Right? Is yeah. he from Game of Thrones? What? Davos? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> so they get together at these at at, uh, at 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 these kind of places, and Leo DiCaprio will give a a speech, and he'll just lord it over these business people, <laughs> and they don't care because they just want to get a selfie with Leo DiCaprio, so they'll put up with it. And he acts; he's so full of. I mean, he he'll go after oil companies, and he'll say things like, uh, "History will judge you for the evil." Terrible people that you are destroying this planet, and then he jumps on a yacht <laughs> with supermodels, and 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 his carbon footprint is bigger than mine. Yeah, uh, yeah. We can say that his carbon footprint, by his own standards, Leo DiCaprio is doing more damage to the planet Earth than Eric von Hessler. But if he was in this room. He would consider himself, and most people would consider him more earth friendly than I am. And don't give me this nonsense that he buys carbon offsets. Carbon offsets. Are you aware? You familiar with this idea? This is what these hypocrites do <laughs> in order to cover their carbon footprint for their party lifestyle. Is they they buy what they call carbon offsets. And what this does, it's like a it's like a stock market nonsense. And so if I know that I'm going to add eight thousand miles and whatever the uh, effect to the environment that 8,000 miles is, I buy enough carbon offsets and they go and supposedly plant enough trees to offset my carbon footprint. The problem is, it doesn't work. They pay the money. They feel better. Nobody follows up to find out how many trees. (laughs) Nobody has the science to say, yes, this will offset that uh, private jet plane thing. And it's a lot like uh, in the Catholic Church for a while, they used to do this thing where you could buy you could buy away your sins. And yes. I'm, I'm forgetting what that's called. There's a name for it, and I'm not going to bore people trying to come up with it. But you could actually basically give more money to the Catholic Church, and okay, it's okay that you did that little bit of a sin. This carbon offset is exactly the same concept. So he is a complete hypocrite. We already I, knew that, but hey, i got to tell you, it's always fun to reiterate it. <laughs> a source close to DiCaprio said that he did not charter the own, his own flights but merely hitched a ride with someone already flying back to Oh, so they were already wasting all of this uh, yeah. stuff. It's called an indulgence. An indulgence. And I don't, I yep. don't believe the Catholic Church still does no, it. No, they There was a it. period of time where if you were a rich guy, you could actually pay to have your sins absolved. This is exactly what carbon offsets are. It's exactly what these people focus, are doing. Focus. So uh, Leo DiCaprio, by the way, even if he hitched a ride on a private jet plane, Leo DiCaprio is still, by his own standards, 
standards yes. hurting the earth more than Eric Von Hessler is. But Eric Von Hessler is on a talk radio, right-leaning <laughs> talk radio show, so he's obviously the enemy, and this guy was in The Revenant. Now, yeah, you, I was going to say, he's got an Academy Award. You don't even have an Air Award. I don't have an Air <laughs> Award. I don't have a Marconi <laughs> Award. All I have is years and years and years of paychecks from doing radio. That's all, all that you, I have to show for it. Well, how he got that Academy Award. Did you see the film? He just crawls around that can cold and hurt the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, we don't have to take this too far because Leo DiCaprio is a great actor. I think that he is an excellent it's actor. It's fine. I Just for that role. I, that's all he did. Should have got it for Howard. Use. Yeah, but a lot of people are saying that Leo should have gotten an Oscar for other things, so yeah. this is just a collective award. Yeah, so this is an indulgence? The yes. Oscars bought an indulgence for their past sins? It never ends. Give me another WTF story. The U.S. is monitoring nearly 300 pregnant women with likely Zika virus infection. Now, that's 157 pregnant women in the States and 122 women in Puerto Rico and other territories. And a lot of these women actually, or, or either, because it's uh, you can transfer this through sex, too, which is kind of new information about it. Uh, so either a lot of these people were either traveling in uh, South America or, you know, or Brazil or Puerto right. Rico, places like that, and have come back or... Uh, or I, I don't think anybody's contracted it here in America yet. I'm, I could be wrong about that. That haven't that haven't traveled. That yet. haven't traveled or yeah. or uh, had relations with someone who's traveled. I think that's also, where it stands right now. But I don't I don't know whether to be scared. I, I don't know no. whether to be scared. And I was sitting around in my backyard yesterday, and uh, I got bit a couple of times. And I'm like, ooh, wow. I wonder if uh, I mean I'm not going to get pregnant anytime soon. I don't think. <laughs> well, but uh, you know, stay on the pill. Stranger, th- exactly. I am practicing good birth control, so yes. I don't think I'm going to get pregnant. But um, <laughs> You do get sick. I mean, the the uh, the well, real problems saying, come from what you pass through to, to the fetus. But you, as an adult, can get sick from this. And they're also the the people who they're monitoring within that number are also asymptomatic or symptomatic. So they could actually have the symptoms, or they could just. I think when they take your blood, they measure certain things, and if you have some sort of viral response, but you don't feel anything, sure, you're also counting those people as it well. Can, it can it can be in there, but hasn't actually manifest itself in in illness. Is right. this the next West Nile from the early 2000s? Well, here's the problem. Uh, also, I would say the Ebola. Remember the Ebola scare, yeah. which was real but didn't get here. The, the problem with this is guys like me get on mic- behind front of microphones like this and say, this is a waste of money because remember the West Nile? Uh-huh. And, and all, but, but the problem, I say... Better safe than sorry with these things. You should take the Donald Trump road on this one. Just yeah, annihilate it. Yeah, just uh, just I, I, you know, right now they're having an argument in Congress. The president wants one point nine billion. Maybe that's too much. The Senate wants to give him one point three, and I think the House wants to give him like eight hundred thousand dollars or something. I I would meet somewhere. I I, I like the idea of around billion. Mm-hmm. I, I like the idea that hey, this is a threat. And but here's the thing. If you're a libertarian or maybe conservative, fiscally conservative, what you know is there's a billion dollars already somewhere that's not doing anything for anybody, just padding, lining pockets. And why do we have to come up with a new billion when we all know that there are billions and billions, if I could be Carl Sagan for a month, <laughs> billions and billions of dollars that are going to waste already? I don't know how you get it, but I err on the side of better safe than sorry with these and things. I think this kind of feels different because it's affecting unborn children. Yeah. Yes, and you know Which nothing is, even is scarier. No one is more paranoid, and quite frankly, annoying, 
than pregnant women. <laughs> <laughs> when my wife is pregnant, I think of this now because I, my my eighteen year old just graduated yesterday, so I'm thinking a lot about uh, the first time I met him in that uh, in that uh, delivery room. And when my wife is pregnant, and we've been together almost thirty years, and I love her dearly, but I have to say. Maybe the most annoying time of my life when women are pregnant. They seem to think that it is the only subject matter worth talking about for nine straight months. So, so you, you were throw, pregnant too. I, yeah, I was. I was dragged into it with her. But uh, I mean, she didn't play those games. But it's just like that's all they want to talk about. There's for a lot nine going on months. with a, another yeah. person being inside. Oh, of them, look, it's a magical, oh, thanks, amazing Excuse thing. Me. But I'm just saying that during nine months, as a husband, you might want to talk about something else every once in a while. Now you more add important than creating. Life. Nothing's more important, darling. But it's just that <laughs> other things may be going on. There's that's, a football game a, on. There's a football game on, and you're not but due for three that, months. But feel the kicking. Feel it. I felt it. It's great. I, I would like to say that 5950 is making a new line of small hats, just in case they can't get this under control. That is <laughs> Leave it to Greg Rush to make a joke about the Zika virus. We don't have enough jokes about Zika viruses. So, all right. Let's, uh, when we take a break, when we come back... We'll see if Autumn Fisher has maybe another WTF story or two in her. The Von Hessler Doctrine on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Welcome back. I'm Eric Von Hessler. That's Tim. That's English Nick. That's Autumn. However, Greg Russ is uh, not going to be with us for this one segment. He's going into our NHL-style penalty box for rehabbing shock jocks for his Zika <laughs> virus joke. <laughs> can, can I say one thing? No, so no, we, you're in the box. You can, but, when, but, you get, when you get out of the box, when you get out of the box, you can say one thing. But if you say one thing now, i got a feeling you're just going to get more time in the box. So I'm doing this out of uh, concern for you. You know, just, uh, this, we're, we're all rehabbing shock jocks here, and I have to have the law. So NHL-style penalty box. Greg Russ is in it for this segment. Yes, English If next. he screws up this this period in the penalty box, yes. he has to stay, into it, stay in it next segment. Yeah, oh, yeah, it doesn't stop. So he's got to watch it. I'm doing the best I can. Also, before we get back to WTF and Autumn Fisher... She's adorable, you know. She's lovely. I, you know, this is a. I'm going to be 52 uh, this week. Uh, mm-hmm. I think on Wednesday or whatever. Whatever the 26th <laughs> is, I'm going to be 52. So I'm thinking about my own uh, aging process here. And I, my 18 year old, I have a 31 year old and 18 year old. My 18 year old's gradu- graduated yesterday, and we have the party today. So I'm thinking. There's a lot of my. How old I am. I don't get down about it, but I'm like everyone else. You reflect. It's a reflective time. And every once in a while, I get a little bummed that I'm not 27, like everyone does. Not too much. It's not a sickness with me or anything. That's the age you want to be is 27? Uh, 27's a good age, I think. You're just, uh, you're just smart enough to know what you're doing, and you're still yeah. young enough to have the energy to do it, I think. So 27 is right, right about where I would, uh, I would go back. But I want to I have all the knowledge I have now, which isn't possible, because I was pretty miserable. Miserable. When I was 27. But anyway, these things come along that make me think uh, about how much older I'm getting. And one I just became aware of is that uh, Sean Lennon, John Lennon's son, is now the same age that John Lennon was when he was assassinated. 40 years old. So, and I was 16 when that happened. So, just yet one more thing. And we don't have to go into this because people don't know who this guy is. But another uh, musician died on stage. Yeah, a drummer called Nick Menza. He used to play with uh, a band called Megadeth. Yeah, 51 years old. Jazz gig. He was at a jazz gig in in L.A. We're at that age now. We're like, remember when we were 33 or 34? Somebody dropped dead at 54. Oh, that's so far away. Who cares? Now we hear these stories. It's like, oh, my God. (laughs) I get to the doctor. Every time a celebrity (laughs) drops, I make an appointment with the doctor. 
You're closer to the end of that conveyor belt you're always yes, talking about. That's right. the way I see life. I you see life see as... the curvature of the conveyor belt. That's right. Life is a conveyor belt. Larry Flint actually said this to me once. Back Larry, when I, Jerry. Yeah, <laughs> you actually gave me some something that stuck with me, Larry. That's interesting. During an, during an interview way back in the ni- 1990s, you said that to you, life is just a conveyor belt, and every day people drop off the end of the conveyor belt, and every day you move a little further along on that conveyor belt, and uh, now I'm, I'm much further along than I used to be. I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing that for sure. But you're not in a golden wheelchair like I am. So. I have not had that sort of pleasure. I can pump the brakes every now and then. <laughs> It's difficult for me to believe this, but I actually got real sort of uh, maybe epiphanous kind of uh, words from you. I may be a smut peddler, but I'm smart. <laughs> You're a smart. Can you say that? You're a smart. Smart smut peddler. Say that three times. Smart smut peddler. Smart smut peddler. Smart smut peddler. Wow. He's still got it, ladies He's and gentlemen. Crazy. All right, what do we do next? Is it time for Outrage Corner? It will be some outrage. There are people outraged all over this planet. We cover it every week. Outrage Corner with English Nick is next. News 95.5 and AM 750. WSB. Eric Von Hessler on WSB. If it's Sunday, it's time to pick up your Sunday AJC. In today's Sunday Atlanta Journal-Constitution, you'll find a special report on how local school districts use the penny sales tax plus 276 bucks in coupon savings. That's why we say, if it's Sunday, it's time to pick up your Sunday AJC. Welcome back. I'm Eric Von Hessler. That's Tim. That's English Nick. That's Autumn. Greg is being allowed out of the NHL-style <laughs> penalty box for rehabbing shock jocks. But Obviously, that penalty was killed. No goals were scored when I wasn't speaking. Tread lightly. Whoa. Tread lightly, Uh-oh. Mr. Russ. Uh, else I would like to say it's back like in the box if you don't. Uh, no. Tread okay, lightly. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, don't. No, I would no, like to. No, 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 no. I don't want a speech. I don't want a speech. You were in the it's box. It's a speech. No, 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 no. I, I, you I want, just, I just want, Do you want to go back I, in the box? What? Do you want to go back you in the box? Could, you can say, you said one thing. You said, you said, I one thing. No. No, listen to me. You said I one will, thing. I will allow you to speak when I say it's time for you to speak. Otherwise, you will be back in the box because I want to speak right now, and this is my show, and I want to speak to something that's a complete non sequitur because I know that no one here shares my love for motorsports, but I know that there are people out there listening who understand what I'm about to say to them, and I won't go deeply into it, mm-hmm. but there was an all-star race last night. And uh, I have absolutely no idea what happened. I watched the whole thing, and I have no idea why the person won, why the other people lost, or what in the heck. It's like the first time I saw Apocalypse Now. I had to see it again before I really kind of understood exactly what happened. So if there's anyone else out there who shares a love for motorsports as I do, and was feeling the same way, I just wanted to commiserate. I watched it, and I have absolutely no idea what in the hell happened? Isn't every week an all-star race? Well, that's that's why they do this, because uh, it's not like other sports. You see all the celebrities of the sport in mm-hmm. every race. Right. So what they do is they change the rules, and they put all these wacky rules in, and they make it different, and, and, they're, and they're going for a million dollars. But this was a new format that apparently some of the drivers dreamed up, and it really seems like they dreamed it up. And they were throwing everything at the wall. And then there were unintended consequences when things actually, when the rubber met the road. And uh, I got to say this, that all-star race, even for a fan, 
is usually deadly boring. Last night wasn't boring. It was wildly entertaining, but I have no idea what I was looking at. Sounds like the cartoon Wacky Races. It was a little bit like that. Exactly. One guy had a thing. He was flying over everyone else. It was bizarre. (laughs) Apparently, there were were three sets. Sorry. Go ahead, Greg. I was going to say there are three sets of different rules. Yes. Three segments. Yes. The lineup for segment one is determined by qualifying, and then the starting order for segment two is set by a pit road exit from the mandatory pit stop after segment one. Yes. And then segment three, during a break between segments two and three, there's a random drawing. Yeah, they had a drawing in the middle of it. Some guy from the Carolina Panthers <laughs> drew a number, and they got jumbled up. It was absolutely bizarre. But I have to say, again, those all-star races are usually deadly boring, and that one wasn't. I just didn't quite understand what I was looking at. But now it is time for this. Outrage Corner. That's outrageous. With English Nick. What is outraging people in this world this week, English Nick? The Iranians are outraged at Kim Kardashian. They're saying that she's in cahoots with uh, the CEO of Instagram, Kevin Systrom. And that they're secret agents, Eric. They're, they're secret agents doing what? Bringing what? down family values, all these half-naked pictures they keep uh, posting, yeah. all this stuff. It's I love the Iranian. Cyber terrorism. The Iranian family values. Basically, women uh, are speak when they're spoken to. They're covered from head to toe. And uh, is that the family values they're talking about? So do I have to be on Kim Kardashian's side? Please don't tell me this. I, have you dug up a way that Eric Von Hessler and the Von Hessler Doctrine actually has to come down on the side of Kim Kardashian? And that in Madman that she married... Kanye West. You're worried about you. You know how I feel about the Kardashians, and I'm on her side today, Eric. That's Only one time here. So they welcome, th- welcome to my <laughs> side. Uh, Kim, is this true? Are you a secret agent working against the Iranian government? No, I'm not a secret agent. Well, of course, that's what a secret agent would say. They would never say yes. What? Yes. Do what? <laughs> You're Armenian, right? Yeah, my family's Armenian. Yeah, yeah so you have a lot in common post- with the Iranians. I guess. I don't even know. So, like, I just post pictures Mm -hmm. of myself looking really hot. Yeah. And this somehow offends them, I guess. Now, what's going on in Iran? That's not my fault. You told me before we went on that they're arresting models. They've arrested models for the same kind of things. Yeah, saying that they're, you know, uh, promiscuity, uh, weakening and rejecting the institution of family, ridiculing religious values and beliefs. So there are models in Iran. Yeah. Because what I'm talking about is, I guess, the most extremist. Iran is is a Persian country. Uh, and so I guess women, not all women have to wear the, the head to toe covering. Some do because they're super religious. No, there's some beautiful models that there's pictures of from yeah. Iran. Yeah. They're but, very uh, liberal they, in Tehran. They have to just kind of put that wrap on their head. Not wrap, but like a scarf. They cover their head with scarves. With scarf. They're right. way lenient about that. And they have this ritual where the guys will go down a road in their BMWs and the women will sit along on park benches and then they get picked up and they go out and party. I but, mean, the, but I know. But then, but if you're caught by, they, they still have like that religious police, they right? Do. Guys who go around and they'll they'll put they'll they'll start harassing you if you're holding hands. It depends in on public. where you live. Or, right. If you live in a, like a small town in Iran, you can't do that. But if you live in Tehran or one of their larger cities, you can do that because there's elites just like there are here. Are women allowed to drive? I'm, I'm asking yes. a question in Iran. Yeah, oh yeah. So they're in, in, in that sense. Uh, they're f- more progressive than Saudi Arabia that is our supposed they're, friend. The, the difference is, is that there's Arab culture and then there's Persian culture. They're both Muslim mm-hmm. cultures, but uh, Persians tend to be a little more lenient. Well, now, they have that crazy people right. that run their country, but... Yeah. You know, well, the reason they have to have those sham elections and make people think that there are moderates is right. because they recognize they at least have to throw a bone right. to the moderates in the society, right? They can't... They, they, 
they understand the Ayatollahs understand that they at least have to make the people think right. that they're getting some progress, whether they are or not. Well, Same thing goes on in China. Like that that country, they that those dictators after Tiananmen Square are like, hey, look, we got to stop being so obvious about the fact that we don't care about these people. We have to now make them think that we care about their well-being, whether we do or don't. That's, well, that's the game. That 79 revolution, where all the people who joined with the Muslims to revolt were, were tricked, and then they were all killed or thrown out of the country. Oh, yeah, I remember on TV, like you, when, when the revolution actually happened, and I know, again, millennials, you can tune out now, because this is, <laughs> this is history from like over 30 years ago, and I know that anything that happened before 10 years ago is of absolute, uh, anything pre-internet. You know, this is, this is, is sounding of, familiar to me, because I watched Shaws of Sunset. Okay, so, okay, so there you go. I have a millennial. <laughs> on my side but when uh, when I was uh, 14, 15 when all this was going on 78, 79 um, you would I was interested in enough interested in the news to watch the news and you would see guys one day I remember this guy Bonnie Sodder I don't know why his name sticks with me and for uh, like six months he would be the guy on Nightline who was speaking for the Iranian regime and then I woke up one day and I was like, Good morning, America, or something. They show him being shot. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know? Like, there was a big turnover of people who you thought were speaking for the government. Then they were all shot. So, obviously, it was a coalition that got together that had like minded reasons to want the Shah of Iran exactly. gone. And then the other people took over. So, uh. Yet leftists are useful idiots, and then yeah. you get the authoritarians. Hey, we've heard that before. So, uh. It, so, but I think. We can all agree that Kim Kardashian, no matter who that is in Iran, should not plan to visit there anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, this is all coming from the Organized Cyberspace Crimes Unit. They're saying... This is a, a, an arm of the Iranian government? Yes. Can you give me that again? The Organized Cyberspace Crimes Unit, they're saying she's nothing less than a secret agent intent on destroying Iranian youth by betraying a lifestyle that's at odds with Islam. I think that's a law and order like procedural show that's yeah. on there. What's dun, it called dun, again? The it's organi- the OCCU. Dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Tonight, <laughs> Kim Kardashian in Iran. And you so, d- could that just be anyone? Like, is Miley Cyrus also a secret agent? Then I think it's because yeah, that, she, Kim Kardashian is so big on Instagram. Seventy million followers. Who on are Instagram? these people? Look, you know what? Now, now I've got to start agreeing with the Iranian government. <laughs> Who are these seventy million people? <laughs> I know she gets. She tweets like. Ew, spiders are gross. And she gets 70,000 retweets and 100,000 45 and a half million on Twitter. How, how, uh, you know, Kim Kardashian, which, by the way, I'm a capitalist, so I don't care. You figure out a way to do it. You did it and make money. I, I'm not offended by that at all. But I still don't have to turn off my mental faculties. Can, not, I, can I jump in there for a second? Yeah. That's what my comment was about. It was a joke about capitalism and New Era starting a hack company for Zika virus. There, I got it in. That's all I wanted to say. It was, it was more. Back in the box. Back in the box. Back in the box. You're back in the box. You're back in the box. Don't say anything. You're back in the box. I'm I'm, I'm muting. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. I have a. He he thinks I don't have. uh, I don't have referees here. We enforce the rules, do we not? Yes, we do. So. Man, I'm looking at Kim Kardashian's Twitter right now, and it's just so dumb. It's like all commercials for herself or uh, uh, commercials for other products that you can buy. Yeah, I was going to say that w- before I was rudely interrupted by Greg Russ, <laughs> that I don't, I don't care about her being rich. They figured it out. That's, that's fine with me. But the audience, I do wonder about. She put out a book about a year ago or something that mm-hmm. was just, it might have been called Selfie. All that it was yes. was a book, like a coffee table book. Of selfies of Kim Kardashian. Who's buying this book? I don't know, but she should give some of the money to Ron Goldman's dad. 
Uh, maybe. Well, look, it wasn't her fault. You can't blame that's her. That's the only reason they're famous. No, she's they're famous because she had a sex tape, and well, uh, she decided not to run away from it and turned it into a... a, 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 mom. a, a her mom. Her mom did that. Her yeah. mom did that. Yeah. But Good mom. My, my point is this. Everyone <laughs> stop distracting me. My point is this. Who goes to the store or goes on Amazon.com, pays 35... Coffee table books are usually pretty expensive. For a coffee table book... Of Kim Kardashian selfies, is it possible you look at that more than once, ever? I mean, yeah, yes. you just sit there. Like, oh, you know, the story's boring. Uh, this show is boring. I'll glance through this <laughs> coffee table book, or do you just put it out to impress people? And if you're putting it on the coffee table to impress people, who are these people you're inviting over to your house that you think will be impressed by this? I'm confused at the world. I am confused. More outrage, sir. Hey, I have a question. Can Greg Russ text from the penalty box? No. He just sent me a text. No. Uh-oh. All right. Uh, this, if, <laughs> in Boston, uh, chief executive officers of the S&P 500 companies on average make 335 times more money than the average rank and file worker. This was a study from Reuters. Oh, and who's outraged by this? The, Reuters? The people who aren't making the money, I guess. <laughs> what is it? I hate these stories. So the CEO yes. is making how much more than the average worker? 335 times, Eric. I'll say it before and I say it again. First of all, being a CEO is a very difficult job. Secondly, no one ever says Tom Brady makes 5,000 times more than the janitor at Foxborough Stadium. (laughs) Because we all understand that Tom Brady doesn't come along, but once a generation, maybe. CEOs, people who can run companies with thousands and thousands of employees... Are, have a unique skill set. And the reason they make that money is because if you didn't pay it to them, some company across town would pay it to them. Just like if you didn't pay Tom Brady, some other team in the NFL would pay Tom Brady. Stop whining. If you want to make that money, do what you need to do to become a CEO. Leave me alone. <laughs> The Von Hessler Doctrine on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Hello. Hello. I love, I love you. you I will tell you my name. name. Eric Von Hessler. <laughs> <laughs> That's Tim. That's English Nick. That's Autumn. Greg Russ still in the NHL style penalty box for rehabbing shock jocks. <laughs> We are doing Outrage Corner, so give me another outrage. All right, people are outraged at this hacker known as Peace. That's his hacker name. He's now, how is it spelled? Is it spelled P-E-A-C-E? Yeah. Hard to believe that wasn't taken. Yeah. Wow, okay. Anyway, it's Peace. Like, you know, it's like, uh, it reminds me of uh, in the late 70s, uh, this band came along called The Police. Yeah. I'm thinking, how was that band name not taken already? From I, the 1950s all the way through the mid-1970s, no one thought to call their Ban the police? Well, back, so obvious. back then you couldn't Google stuff, so probably there were a bunch of bands called the police, but they didn't know about it. I guess so. But basically, the one that makes it, yeah. And then so no, no band made it called the police, <laughs> right. but there was probably a garage band or two out there. Absolutely, that's, that's what happened in the garage. The bobbies, and probably what happens. <laughs> the bobbies, the bobbies, we're the bobbies. The bobbies. <laughs> All right, well, go ahead. Anyway, Peace is selling what is reportedly account information from 117 million LinkedIn IDs. Who's using? LinkedIn. Well, hold on. I am, but I don't use it. Now, when you say using, there's there's using, yeah. and then there's using. So my data 
could be in there. Yeah, yeah. But I don't put I don't put like I don't think I put my social security number and no. things like that in there. I don't know how much you can do, but maybe my login or something. But I got, look, if you hacked my LinkedIn profile, I wouldn't know for a month and a half. <laughs> like I, I have LinkedIn. <laughs> But I have never used LinkedIn. The way that you think of using Twitter or Facebook, I, this is what happens. This is my LinkedIn experience. I wait until 25 or 30 or sometimes 40 requests for uh, for inv- Im- imitation requests yeah. to become friends or whatever you call it on LinkedIn. Because I still get the emails from them every time somebody wants to be my LinkedIn buddy. It's connection. It. Connection. There you go. A connection. And so I let that build up and build up and I say, oh, i got to go to that page and let people in. Then once every month and a half or so, I go in to my LinkedIn page, I let everybody in who's requested a connection, and then I never go back until 30 or 40 more of these requests build up and I'm back. That's... Th- do people use this? You know when the guy. You know when he got this information four years ago in a cyber attack. <laughs> Nobody cares. That's how slow it is. Nobody cares. And the truth is, I'm in radio, so I, whenever I'm out of a job, I never think to go to those boards. I just know people who Me know. Too. I mean, you just know people, yeah. right? They say, "Hey, we'll get you in over here." You know what that is? That's an actual social network. That's a, you, you know people in society. That's and weird. Isn't that strange? <laughs> yeah, Rather bizarre. Yeah. All right, we can't avoid it any longer. I have to let him out of the box at least for a little while. My misanthrope buddy Greg Russ with stories from Studio B1 when we return. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Eric Von Hessler on WSB. Live from Sherwood Forest, Hour 3 of the Von Hessler Doctrine begins now. I am the aforementioned Eric Von Hessler. I, of course, am not alone. The doctrinaires are here with me. Tim Andrews, English Nick... Autumn Fisher, and this could be a little dodgy here because we've come to the point in the show. My misanthrope buddy Greg Russ from New York City, he's been in the penalty box twice today, but we have to let him out because it's time for this. He's a misanthrope, he has a dark heart, and he needs a good psychiatrist. Here you are. It's Greg Russ with stories from Studio B1. Yeah, I know. Even Greg Russ gets one and you don't. Now, Greg, you're on a short, short, short leash <laughs> on the, on the verge of game misconduct is what you're saying. Yes, you you I you know the NHL has been kicking people out of games lately for their egregious conduct, and I'm getting very close to this with you. But I hey, I'm, the fans like it though, and who's more important, the fans or the critics? Uh, ultimately. I'm the most important because <laughs> yes. my name is on the marquee. So uh, give me a story or two from Studio B1 and watch yourself. You All right. This, this story is just for you. Thank you. I know that you're going to love this one. Bernie Sanders asked to leave a hippie commune for shirking in a book that's upcoming claims. Yeah, this, this was 1971, and he was asked to leave for sitting around and talking about politics instead of working. So when he was, uh, people forget that in the, in the late 60s and early 70s, the, there were some hippies, most hippies were just all talk. But there was a sizable portion of the hippie community where they said, you know, let's do this. Let's, and, and they set up communes. And I know a couple of people who actually spent some time on these communes. And uh, now in a commune, the idea is, what is the communist thing? It's like, I, what is it? From each what he can give to those, to 
So basically the idea, I can't remember the phrase, but the idea is those who can work, work. You work, you get the most out of your body, and then it gets distributed evenly to those who need it, right? Peace and love. Peace, Peace and, and love, love, Eric. Basically. Each so, according to his ability is the first part. To those according to their needs. Yes. Something like that. So he was not doing anything according to his own ability, apparently, by the story. Bernie Sanders, a younger Bernie Sanders in 1970, uh, just wanted to sit around the commune and talk about socialist ideas all the time and not actually go get any water from the well. Oddly, I sounded exactly the same. (laughs) Listen, Moonchild, I hurt my back earlier. What I'd like to do today and for the rest of the month is offer a daily seminar... About Bernie, sorry, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, Bernie. Yes, Moonchild. We really need someone to help us pull the weeds in the communal garden. I've got bad news right now. I can't get. That. Listen, let me talk to you about the inequality that's going on right now. I President know. We Nixon. Spent four hours last night talking about Nixon. Okay. Look at Vietnam. Why are we fighting in Vietnam? Listen, I understand, but even I'm pregnant and I'm pulling weeds. Like, could you just please help us? That is part of your nature. That is what women in the wild do. They get on their knees when they're pregnant and they pull weeds. Now. Now listen, I am going to talk to you right now about inequality, female inequality. <laughs> Women deserve the same amount as men. <laughs> but go oh, work, no. go pull the weeds. So he was kicked out. Moonbeam, <sighs> did you kick him out or did you go to somebody else? Who's in charge of the commune? No, it's it's not it's not like one of our jobs to kick someone out. It was a community together. We decided that it would just be better to not have him around because he just didn't do anything. Here's yeah. why they kicked me out. I said to Moonbeam, grab Squeaky and go over to these rich people's homes and just spray paint stuff all over the walls. Don't kill anybody. Just spray paint on the walls. And they went too far. They went way too far. Luckily, Charles Manson stepped in and took the blame. <laughs> so, you know, I actually, I kind of feel for, I, I feel like I do the same kind of thing, right? What do I do? I don't really do. I've always been interested in politics. And even though I was thinking about getting into politics, uh, I was getting in my late 20s and things just weren't going the way that I wanted them to go in the entertainment <laughs> industry. And I said, well, I got to do something. Okay, I'm interested in politics, right? So I'll go get a degree in political science, and maybe I'll have, in the future, maybe I can get employed with political campaigns, something along those lines. But in my mind, the reason that I wanted the degree was because I didn't want to be the guy knocking on doors. Like, I had no interest, no matter how much I liked a politician, I didn't want to be the guy canvassing the neighborhood. With knocking, the clipboard? With the clipboard, <laughs> knocking on doors. So I, I dedicated myself to uh, Statistics 101 so that I could walk out with a degree that would immediately put me in the cushy... Air conditioning, air conditioned office. Where? What would I do? Just what Bernie Sanders does: sit around and talk about why we should win, win this election, and not actually go out and do anything about it. I can't he knock seems- on doors today because my corns are just on fire. <laughs> yes, Greg. He seems to be the least insufferable in this commune. Reading more about it, at some point there was a meditation mantra happening with a with a woman who was going to give birth, and this brought really good energy to the group. That she's quoted as saying, and a couple of men. A couple of men who were, were there who 
could potentially be the baby's father, so nobody knew. <laughs> nobody, and, uh, boom, boom, who was the baby's father? It wasn't Bernie. It doesn't really matter who the father was. We are all a communal father. We know why men are there, right? What? You know why men are on a commune. Of course. You know, I have, uh, I have friends I have friends who were genuine hippies <laughs> back in the day, good friends of mine. And and uh, she lived on a, a commune for a while. And what I thought was she used to tell me stories that uh, they had... Uh, they had uh, certain profiles for people who would show up, and one of the things that would happen is they, they would call them uh, Time Magazine hippies. <laughs> like, people would show up who obviously just read about hippiedom. Jumped on the bandwagon. Jumped on the bandwagon, and she told me about this guy one day, they're just like, it's early morning, and they're, you know, they're making their communal breakfast, and this guy's only been on the, the farm, the commune, for uh, a couple of days, and he just walks in totally nude. <laughs> <laughs> and like, to them, it was like, oh, Time Magazine hippie, so... <laughs> well, when the baby was born, there was a uh, someone ran out into the field and blew a long blast from a hunting horn. Oh, so, so the whole commune knew. And then apparently, the demise of it in the eighties, these people settled into traditional societal roles, like the stuff that they were rebelling against. Ultimately, they just became yeah, normal people. Absolutely, absolutely. My friends, who I'm referring to, uh, who were hippies from the from the late sixties and early seventies, they kind of stuck with it. They really were socialists. So they didn't, you know. He used to tell me, I, I'm make $35,000 a year. I don't want to make any more. And I was like, fine. That's what you want to do. But all of their friends had moved on. Like, all their friends were like 80s investment bankers. <laughs> and so, if you stay on the farm, you stay on the commune, you're going to break back into the basic societal roles. And uh, so, Moonbeam, when you, heard the, when you heard the trumpet blow, that was your way of telling the rest of the, of the farm that the baby has arrived. It was amazing. <laughs> we named it Dreamcatcher. <laughs> And he was a beautiful baby. He did have a lot of illnesses, though, because yeah. we refused to get him vaccinated. <laughs> but he, you know, he pulled through, and now he just has a little bit of brain damage from a high fever. Yeah. But he's okay. Other than that. He's a beautiful person. He's a beautiful human being. Who does he consider his father now, now that he's in his 40s or whatever? I, it really is sad that you're so concerned with something like that, because <laughs> we're all his father. We you, all you, take the masculine role in his life and different ways but yeah but, but. You, <laughs> I'm, ahead, Greg. I'm, I'm laughing because yes and this is the extreme here but the the articles referencing the natural childbirth and how that was so important and how there was like a birth sherpa and it's the same stuff that autumn <laughs> actually got into <laughs> it's just that the birth sherpa is now called the doula okay don't get autumn going she will she will hijack the rest it's of the show moonbeam <laughs> Don't worry, Autumn's not here okay. to argue with you about how important a doula is in your journey through your natural childbirth. Thank because goodness. Because hospitals, yes. they have a different agenda uh, than your body. All right, I feel like Autumn's creeping in here. I've nope, heard this she's before. not here. No. She's definitely not here to talk to you about midwifery and its thousand-year-old tradition. Midwifery sounds like somebody would let, let one go. Yeah. All right, so uh, <laughs> give, me, give me another story from Studio B1. <laughs> <laughs> uh, could you survive a thousand dollar crisis? A poll shows that most people would have a tough time if some kind of bill presented itself <laughs> where they had to shell out a thousand dollars at once. Most people? Are you talking two out of three? Is it? I mean, what is the, the most people? Seventy five percent of households making less than fifty thousand dollars, and then if you go from fifty thousand to a hundred thousand, sixty seven percent could not handle a one thousand dollar crisis. Meaning, uh, uh, they needed a thousand dollars this week when they didn't know they were going to need it last. Like week. if the car broke. Dan, yeah, or if right. there was something to repair on the hash or something. That, yes, that is uh, that's uh, that's upsetting. Uh, I th you'd think that we would have learned our lesson after the last crash and everything. 
You know, it is it, I watch financial news a lot. I don't really understand the markets, but I just enjoy watching the news through a financial outlet more than CNN or Fox. I don't know why. All it's those just, numbers across the bottom yeah, of the screen. Just, <laughs> I, no, I'll, I'll tell you why. I, I feel like uh, CNN or Fox, if you don't have huge breaking news, they decide... I'm going to use that hackneyed term, the narrative. Like, they decide mm-hmm. what the narrative is going to be that day, and they just stick with it. But I think when you're covering the markets, you genuinely don't know what's going to happen every day. You don't know if it's going to go up. You don't know if it's going to go down. And they have their biases, and they have their tendencies, but they do have to improvise, because they didn't know going in exactly what was going to happen. So, uh, anyway, I hear the music now. I'll finish this thought when we return. Von Hessler Doctrine on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Welcome back. I'm Eric Von Hessler. That's Tim. That's English Nick. That's Autumn. Greg Russ is doing stories from Studio B1. And I got interrupted my little rant last time around. So what was the story again that you brought up, Greg? Uh, people cannot, how much, what's the crisis they can't get over? Uh, just a $1,000 crisis. So it's 75% of households making less than $50,000 and then 67%, 50000 to $100,000. And I was saying this kind of surprises me. It doesn't surprise me. It, it uh, disappoints me. Let's put it that way. Because mm-hmm. I watch financial news and you see these uh, guys show up and gals, these pundits on the financial channels. And after the crash of 2008-9, you would think that we would have learned our lesson about credit. You know, you would think that people, you know what? I need to save money. I really need to save money. It's important. But if you watch these financial shows, CNBC or Fox Business or Bloomberg, you actually see reporters dejectedly reporting to you that people are saving money. Like, they're still pushing this idea that the best thing for the economy is that we all just max out our credit cards <laughs> and buy all kinds of things because this is what's good for the economy. And I know they're experts, and I know that I'm not, but I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think the, the, the society is stronger if each of us has more savings. And I understand where you put that savings to try to get a little bit of an interest rate so that you don't, because the truth is, if you just bury it in the backyard, actually the value of those dollars in the backyard go down. So you would like to put them somewhere so that they get a little bit and kind of keep up with... with 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 the the depreciation of the dollar but i just feel like we should be encouraged to save more and not this is my you know i'm I, one of my everybody doesn't like bush because of the war and all that i'm not really about that one of the things that really annoyed me about the bush administration is he just kept on saying keep shopping you know mm-hmm. like go out shopping. just yeah just keep on shopping yeah, you need a four wheeler don't you <laughs> just go out and keep buying things and i'm a capitalist but i don't think that that is a sound foundation a part of the equation needs to be you know buyer beware rational, reasonable behavior on the part of consumers and not just go out and just max out your credit cards. But if you, if we all went out and maxed out our credit cards tomorrow, I would turn on FBN on, on Monday morning and they'd say, hooray, the economy's <laughs> back because we're all making the same damn mistake we made again. Uh, look, credit is something that you should use for big things. Houses, cars, Maybe you need a washing machine and you weren't looking for it. 
you should not be using your credit card to buy cigarettes. Yes. Well, you mentioned credit cards. That's what you can use them for is that emergency when you don't quite have the funds. Yeah, but you get yes. penalized for that. You get penalized. That everything costs more, and then people think but, that they're going to pay things off in time, and they don't. So you start, you use a credit card to buy something trivial that you don't need right now, mm-hmm. that you could get over the next few months, and you'd be just fine. And then you don't pay it off in time because something else happens. And in one night, it goes from 7% to 19%, or maybe even 27%. Yeah. This is not the way to live. You Saving in, in, in strong cultures... People have an ethic of saving money because there are always rainy days. Boring. <laughs> uh oh. Like I say, you just shouldn't be using your credit card because you just want that nifty thing. If, if but my using, checking account's empty and I want a pizza tonight. I know. <laughs> if you're using a credit card to buy a pizza tonight, you're doing the wrong thing. Cars, houses, these are the things you use credit for. All right. We're going to do something called Doctrine Extra. When we return, Eric Von Hessler on WSB. If it's Sunday, it's time to pick up your Sunday AJC. And this Sunday, today, in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, you'll find a special report on how local school districts use that penny sales tax. You'll also find $276 in coupon savings. That's why we say, if it's Sunday, it's time to pick up your Sunday AJC. Welcome back. I'm Eric Von Hessler. That's Tim. That's English Nick. That's Autumn. That's Greg Russ. And it is now time for this. Ladies and gentlemen. It's the stories, WTFs, and outrages we just couldn't miss. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's the Doctrine Extra on the Von Hessler Doctrine. What? I was trying not to judge it this time. Oh, where he says, extra, extra. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I hated it at first, and now I find it so entertaining that I've just decided to stick with it. So people listening may wonder, what is this Doctrine Extra? Well, if you follow the show, we do different segments with different uh, headlines, and we don't get to all the stories. So in Doctrine Extra, we go back and do a little bit of a sweep and see if we can not leave so much on the table. So let's go back to headlines. English Nick, give me a story that we missed in headlines. Yeah, on Tuesday, one day after the uh, the team fell to the historically low mark of 9-28. and 28, You're talking about the Braves. The Braves. They fired Freddie Gonzalez, their manager. Yes. And <laughs> and he got, he got his airline ticket. Hold on one second. Greg, I know Greg is... <laughs> Greg, who has been anti-Freddy Gonzalez Uh, for years. Freddy. Uh, Hold on. We will let you have your your say on Freddy in a moment. But it was an awkward way that he found out that he'd lost his job. Yeah, they were on the road against the Pirates, and he opened up his inbox, and there were the tickets home. So there were still four more games on the road or something. He he saw in his his inbox that he had a... (laughs) A ticket back to Atlanta, and uh, and not where the team was going. Right, next. and then they told him the next day. So one he kind of had ticket, a clue. One way ticket. A one way ticket, and he kind of knew at that point. Yep. And I've read about it, and he sort of laughed it off, and he understood. He knew it was coming. Now, come on, Greg. Uh, now, are you going to be gracious? Uh, you've been after this guy's job for I don't know. I don't even think he ever settled into the job that Greg liked him. I hate him. <laughs> so, Greg, uh, you have anything nice to say to? Freddie Gonzalez. 
Good riddance. Uh, oh, so I'll cool. leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. It still doesn't bring me back to being a Braves fan. That stadium is going to be a disaster. That is going to be a real black eye on the Braves organization when that thing. Like, I think the stadium will be nice. I think the idea behind it is, uh, you know, it's, it's having the shopping center and the experience. That's, you know, a way to go. But I, I apparently the transportation plan is there, but it's not really going to work. And there's some pedestrian bridge that they're supposed to be building. But now they won't have the funds for. You think it's, it's going to be? You think it's going to be a traffic nightmare, even worse than what we would go through to get to this stadium? Yeah, I, I, I've been reading about it more. I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't. I, the thing about Freddie is that uh, he got the one year. It was a one year deal he was on, I think. And everyone knew that he didn't really have the talent to do much. But then, so they weren't expecting much. But then the team underperformed that, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the fans just, you, you had to do something, I guess. Although there hasn't been as much vitriol toward him from the fans as I expected. A lot of fans are like, eh, what could he do? I mean, he didn't have a whole well, lot to this work point- with. There is the argument that what do managers really do in baseball as compared to coaches in basketball or football, where, you know, you have set plays, you have strategies. Like the most, the thing that comes closest to a set play in baseball is bunting a runner to second. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it does matter how you run the organization. You look at uh, the Cubs, the guy they got, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. He's universe, He's considered to be, if not the best manager in baseball, very close to it. And he goes yeah, to the, yeah, yeah, he goes to the Cubs and they're, they've got, they're doing better. Better than they had. But he also Since, has the players. The point I was making is, yes, the players in baseball, I think, have a lot more to do with it. Like, it's harder to take players who aren't good and get something out of them right. than it is in other sports. We saw Freddie kind of underperform with some good players a couple years ago, though, and I think that sort of leads to the thinking about him. I wonder now, there's a lot of stories about how, I guess he was the only Hispanic manager. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was the only one. And so now that becomes a big ESPN outside the lines. Hashtag topic. chipper for skipper. <laughs> I saw well, that. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. Chipper has chipper done any coaching? Uh, maybe little league. Yeah, you don't start at the top, do you? In baseball, usually you get with a name like, like that. Like you do third base coach or something. I mean, like Frank Robinson. Like he started. He didn't start at the top. Pete Rose did while he was playing. Oh, yeah, but that's a player coach. Yeah, the interim manager is going to be Brian Snicker. He was the Atlanta's uh, Braves third base coach in 2006, and he's been coaching the AAA team in Gwinnett, cool Manage, field, yeah. and they're doing great. Remember English, Nick, managing. He, managing. Although you have third base, coach, third base coaches. Yeah, yeah, he was the, the third base coach. He's yeah. not the head coach. He's the manager, no. so kind of a thing. That, Got you. Uh, but that's uh, the people, Gwinnett. People like Snicker. Yeah. It was, uh, when he was the third big coach, like he had his own fan section. It was one of these strange things that took off. <laughs> it was like, people like Snicker. And the the Gwinnett Braves are playing quite well. It's just, it's a, when you're a fan of a AAA team, it's a little annoying because if you're really good, basically all your players get poached or your managers get poached by the big team. It's very <laughs> difficult being a AAA. Now in in Atlanta, we have both the the uh, the big club and the AAA club in the same metro. But I've lived in smaller towns where you only had the AAA club, so they were the only ones you were invested in. Really, I, when I lived in Rochester, we were I was we were invested in the Red Wings. Not so much the Baltimore Orioles, who they were, who was the big club at the time. But every time you'd have a good club going, they'd start poaching all your best players. These guys would come in and pick them up, and yeah. you wouldn't end up going anywhere. So it's kind of a weird sort of situation being a Triple A fan. But uh, so Snicker is the, he's the interim coach. Yeah, I wonder if there's much of a chance that he'll won- get the rest of it. Well, I saw that they won three games in a row under him. 
I know. Maybe, maybe it was two. <laughs> isn't that uh, isn't that though? You expect that to happen, right? Whenever there's a change like that, immediately. Remember that guy took over the Dolphins, and within uh, a couple of games, he was being declared like the next. Uh, I don't know, just the greatest coach ever. He's going to make the Miami Dolphins tough and strong because they won two or three games in a row. And by the sixth or seventh game, he was there. They were back to being the Dolphins. Yeah, they beat the Phillies uh, Friday night and yesterday. The Dolphins? No, that'd be the, weird. The Braves. The Braves. Through a no hitter. <laughs> the Braves. And they're playing them right now, game three. <laughs> so yeah, so they're playing well, but you expect that uptick. You have to see it over a, an awful lot of time. And what was there? So Freddie, they'd only won nine games under him. Yes, this yeah. season. Yeah. My goodness gracious. So Freddie, uh, well, he'll get work somewhere else. Sure. Right? Maybe not as a manager. TV. TV, perhaps, uh, or go back to coaching one of the bases. How come there isn't a second base coach? Because he'd be in the middle of the field. Oh, yeah, yeah. No... He'd, he'd get in people's way. Yeah. <laughs> There's nowhere far. <laughs> Why aren't there a pitching coach standing behind the pitcher? I knew the answer before I, I asked the question. All right, uh, so we got, give me a campaign chaos story we missed, Greg. Okay, so Ed Rendell, who was the former Pennsylvania governor. He was also, he, I think he was the mayor of Philadelphia before he, that. He was. He's yeah. apologizing for comments he made about women. He was criticizing Donald Trump, who made a comment such as, uh, you can't be a 10 if you're flat-chested. And then Rendell <laughs> said, there are probably more ugly women in America than attractive women. People take that stuff seriously. And he's saying that meaning that Trump's going to alienate women <laughs> so by making comments. Basically, Hillary, his comment <laughs> basically was, Hillary's going to win because there's more ugly women in America than beautiful women. And I'm the yeah, misogynist. <laughs> Please. Have you seen this Ed Rendell? Terrible guy. And then what did Ed Rendell say? I love these apologies. Give me his apology as close to verbatim as you can, Greg. What I said was incredibly stupid and insensitive. You know, well, come on. Like, you don't know what you meant. You know, the obvious thing that, you know, there are, I don't know if he should, he shouldn't have used the word ugly, right? But let's face it. There are more women in America who don't look like Melania Trump than women who look like Melania Trump. You're not ugly if you don't look like Melania Trump. But we can all agree there are more women in America who don't look like Melania Trump than look like Melania Trump. Is that what he was trying to say, Hillary? He's speaking for you. I don't, you know, he was speaking for you. He's on your side. Listen, I'm in the autumn of my years. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with an aging woman. No, I'm not saying that. But do you agree with what he said, that you'll get the women's vote because there are more ugly women than beautiful women? Listen, I'll get the women's vote because we all have vaginas and we all (laughs) stick together. Okay. Uh, go ahead. That, that's basically what's happening. I have happening, nothing. Though. I've got nothing to top that. <laughs> Vote Hillary. She goes in the box. She goes in the box for yeah. rehabbing shock jocks. The, uh, but the Gwendolyn Collins, who's the president of the Pennsylvania Federation of Democratic Women, said, you know, it's, it's, that wasn't like him. He may not have taken his medicine or someone slipped him a Mickey. That's her quote. Yeah, I, I, I love when these guys that. have these non-apology apologies. And really, but if Donald Trump had said exactly the same thing, if you would have said, I'm going to win, I'm gonna, you're going to win. Why? Why are you going to win? Because there's more uh, beautiful. Uh, <laughs> Look, folks, Melania is beautiful. If there were more beautiful people here, I'd win 100%, but it's a lot of ugly, fat women who aren't going to vote for me. What can I do about it? So if you're progressive, what I want to do, and th- th- there are moments like this, I guess you call them teachable moments for each side. It happens to both sides. If you're a progressive and you are rallying to try to explain and rationalize what Ed Rendell said, just for one moment, imagine that Donald Trump said the exact same thing in the exact same context. Would you be so open to, oh, it was just a misstatement? Mm. And like I said, it happens on both sides, but that's the way that it goes. All right, so 
We can all agree that that was a stupid statement, but uh, whether or not it will actually hurt. Nobody knows who Ed Rendell is. No. I do, because I'm a geek. I've been following politics forever. <laughs> I know exactly who this guy is. He's kind of been on the, he's been on the Democrat side, been a big name in the D- Democrat Party for a long time. But he is right about the fact that it's, it's the word, it's the use, use of the word ugly. That's ugly. You know, it's, it's like what he should have said was more women don't look like Melania Trump than do. And that would be a true statement. But you're not ugly if you don't look like Melania Trump. Cause it'd be nice a, if he'd be able to come out and just say exactly that. Yes. But he won't. But he can't. Could have said ham everyone beast. has to react to everything. What's that? Said he could have said ham beasts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like this. When people try to not say something bad about the way a woman looks, this is to me the 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 the, the worst thing you could say because you're not really being mean. But <laughs> I've heard this before. Well, she's a handsome woman. You dig yourself a deeper she's hole a, is what you dig. She's a handsome woman. Yeah. Um, is that really the kind of thing you should say about a woman? She's homely. She's a handsome woman. Well, no, that's the other way. Homely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've lost all control of this. Autumn, give me a story from, sure. so, from WTF. Uh, uh, a study has revealed some of the drunkest cities in America and seven out of the top ten are in Wisconsin. Does that surprise anybody? No. <laughs> you know, I look, it's, it's more than that. It is bizarre that seven of the cities, remember, this is, these are the drunkest cities, top ten. Not the drunkest states, the drunkest cities, and seven of the ten are actually in Wisconsin. And there were a bunch in the top 20 that were also from Wisconsin. Yes, but also the ones, the other ones that are in the top 10 that aren't Wisconsin, there's one thing that ties all of these together, and that is that it is freezing cold for seven yes. months a year. Like uh, Minnesota is in there. Uh, I think so- four, four out of the seven are in the northern and uh, sort of closer to the bay part of Wisconsin, which is yeah. super cold. Ames, Iowa, pretty cold place. So if it's cold, people like to drink. Keeps you warm. What else are you going to do in Madison? That's right. Fond du Lac's a really awesome place to get super wasted. <laughs> I heard. Fond du Lac. I don't, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that in Milwaukee, there are more bars per street corner than anywhere else in the world. Like So per capita, there's more bars per capita than any other place in the world in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So this doesn't surprise me. We'll uh, try to fit another uh, doctrine story or two in there. And also remember, we have the best goodbyes in the business. Don't miss it. When we return. The Von Hessler Doctrine on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Welcome back. I'm Eric Von Hessler. Tim's here. English Nick's here. Autumn's kind of in the box, the penalty box. And uh, Greg Russ is is here. And uh, this is our last segment. We're on every Sunday from noon until 3. But also, if you get your WSB radio app, you want to download that because we do three podcasts uh, a week called The Digital Doctrine. Plus, this show becomes a podcast within 24 hours of airing. So you go, you download the WSB radio app, and then on the front page there, you, you, you dial down until you see the Von Hessler Doctrine. You hit that. Everything that we do every week is available to you right there at your fingertips, wherever you are. Or you can turn on your mic. You can binge on us. You can binge on us. Binge listen. All kinds of stuff there. Don't just binge on your Netflix. Binge on your Von Hessler Doctrine. As we do every week, Paul Stanley from the rock group Kiss tells us what we learned today. Hey, guys. 
Yes. Hey, Paul. I had a Hi, great Paul. night. Hi there. You're in timeout, so sh- oh. shush. Mm. Listen, Aww. some crazy guy jumped the White House fence and was shot by the Secret Service. He was nuts, right? He was nuts. It's like, who does that? It's like 2016 or something. Don't yeah. jump over the fence. You get crazy people at Kiss concerts, I'm sure. Oh, they're always trying to jump over the fence <laughs> when we're getting off the bus. And, and the you know, Gene's bus is three behind mine, and I'm in the front. We've got so many buses. You know, that guy with the laser pointer. I saw that YouTube video. Listen, I told that guy, if he doesn't stop it, well, You're gonna I'm coming out there and doing you know what. <laughs> Can't say it. Kept pointing that laser at you. Oh, it's getting in my face. I'm the star, man. I shoot the lasers. You are the star child. The star child. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so what else did we learn? We learned. Um, let's see. Leonardo DiCaprio is the giant hypocrite because he flies around all over the place in these fancy planes. And then he gets warned. And then he tells people, hey, listen, I'm Leonardo DiCaprio. I fought a bear. Don't, uh, you know, drive gas cars. Don't pollute. <laughs> listen, before we go, I kiss. we took a steamer ship to Europe. It took six months. <laughs> You're dead. In my tell car. Me your, tell me your plane, the, the Kiss plane is a diesel. The, oh, yeah, the Kiss jumbo jet it runs on biodiesel, but we had to stop because it smelled like a truck stop. <laughs> that was thanks to everybody behind the scenes. Thanks to everybody here in and out of the box. Thanks to you for listening. Like I said, every Sunday at noon, that's your appointment listening, people. That was this episode of the Von Hessler Doctrine. We'll chat with you again next Sunday at noon or on the WSB radio app. But until then, I simply must insist that each and every one of you get off my lawn. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB.